Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. I am going to talk to Mr. Eric Miller today. He's the co-owner and the CFO of Econologics Financial Advisors. Eric has had over 20,000 conversations with a lot of business owners over the last 13 plus years regarding personal and business financial success. In addition, he has published countless articles and videos on various topics to educate owners on how to manage their personal and business finances. And just in the last year, he has spoken at over 50 live and virtual events nationwide. Welcome, Eric. Thank you very much. It's nice to be on here. Absolutely. So we start with this question with all the guests. Tell us something interesting or funny about yourself. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. Um, I recently wrote a book for the first time. I actually have a copy of it right here. How to Become a Financial Beast. And uh, that uh, that was interesting because I'd never written a book before. And it was, you know, something that, you know, when you're when you're doing something for a period of time uh, and you start to see patterns develop, you know, you really want to then kind of capture that. And so you you can help other people. So that was that was I never really thought when I got in this business (laughs) that I would ever write a book. Okay, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So that's probably the. Of what I can think of right now, one of the most interesting things about me is I actually wrote a book, How to Become a Financial Beast. That's amazing. Um, I would love to read the book. So oh, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. I'm going to. I'll send you a free copy of that for having me on your podcast. An autographed, autographed. Yeah. I love collecting okay. signed copy of the book. Copies of the book I got like from Tim Tom Wilright, Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. So I yeah. would love to. <laughs> I will definitely get you a copy. No problem. And then what was the second part of the question? Was uh, or funny? I think this yeah. is great. Yeah. So, and, and as, as you know, our podcast is about alternative, alternative investments. So I mm-hmm. always want to know, even if we are talking about asset protection or taxes, but what do you invest in and why? Well, uh, I will tell you that um, when it comes to investing, um, there's a couple of principles that I've learned over the years that I think are really, really important. And I'll, and I'll get into this. The, the, the best investment advice that, that I, I've ever heard that nobody seems to care about is know what you own and why you own it. And I think that a lot of people would, you know, if I, I ask a lot of people, a lot of clients, like, do you know what you own inside your portfolios? Do you really know what you own? And of course, you know, most people don't. So I think right. it's really good advice. Know what you own and then why you own it. Um, the second uh, thing that I look at when when it comes to investing money is look I'm I, I'm in a field where I deal with a uh, our niche is a private practice owner so I I work with a lot of physicians I work with a lot of people that that deliver healthcare veterinarians physical therapists optometrists these kinds of, of people and uh, I, I can say that look business ownership real estate ownership is where you're going to create a majority of your wealth not right. investing in an S&P 500 index fund not investing in a in a municipal bond if you look at you know family offices and such 
I mean, the majority of where their, their cash flow and their wealth comes from is, is the, those ownerships in actual businesses. So I think, um, you know, up for, as far as my plan is concerned, I want to continue to grow our business because that really is uh, a, a, a way in which I can build wealth quickly if I know what I'm doing. Right. right. Now, when it comes to investing, you know, probably about eight years ago, I remember going up, up and down uh, my block and I started looking at people's garages and I realized that, you know what, nobody throws anything away. Right. Of course. Right? So that, that led me into self-storage. Self-storage. I was yeah. going there. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but even to that degree, there, there had to be a story behind that of why that would make sense to me. You know, why is, you know, right. and forget the, you know, all the, the reasons why people would invest in stealth storage. It just made sense to me. It made sense that if, if run well, you know, and I don't do it myself. I hire an right. operator that actually does it just because I want to concentrate most of my time on what I think I do well. And, uh, but that's certainly one of the investments that, um, that that I've uh, partaken in and it's been very successful in doing so. No, that's great. I mean, yeah, we focus on mobile home parks, senior housing and self-storage. That's another well. one. Yeah. yeah, but self-storage is one of those where you don't have to worry about tenants or termites or toilets, that's, right? The three right. T's. And, and we Americans, we love to gather stuff. That's we right. don't like to throw away. We have maybe sometimes sentimental values, sometimes it's emotional for whatever reasons, but that's what I've learned. And people would not care to pay extra 30, 40, 50 bucks a month. It's nope. like, it's a coffee money, right? It's Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. and, and the same, I could say the thing, and mobile home parks are another one that yeah. I've been actually looking at too. It seems like that, that the, um, you know, what's happening in America today, yes. you know, I think it's, we're starting to see a shift and people want to be more mobile. People want to downsize right. certain things. And I think that that story makes sense. But, you know, again, I think to the point, it, the story has to make sense, right. followed by the investment, right? Because the story makes sense, then, uh, you know, I think you can justify the rest of it. But um, yeah, I like, I like all three of those things that you mentioned. Oh, that's great. So let's talk about, because you mentioned most of your clients are practice owners, like doctors, physicians, and whatnot. Yep. And I'm connected with a lot of doctors as well. Of course, I'm an engineer, but you know, I'm, I come from family of doctors as well as a lot of friends here. And I see the biggest problem because as an engineer, a lot of time we are used to analyzing data. We love numbers. We look at Excel. Doctors are not the same way. What I noticed, or what, or maybe what do you think is the number one reason why doctors are not financially sound? It's really simple. Uh, they got into business. Actually, they got into a field. They didn't get into a business. Right. They got into a field where their main priority was helping people. And it necessarily wasn't making money. It was learning how to be a good practitioner. But yet, if you want to be successful in business, you have to know not only how to be a good practitioner, but how to be an owner how to be an executive because if you're going to actually have a successful business that scales that has value that's worth something right. you have to know your your owner hat and your executive hat well most of them were never taught that in medical school right. they didn't learn how to manage money they didn't learn about organization and policies and procedures and what stats to keep and you know any of those things so 
that's why they or that's why they they tend to stink <laughs> at, at money management <laughs> uh and they just open themselves to be taken advantage of and lied to so often um be because of that but um that seems to be the primary issue with most physicians is that they just never learned those skills. And uh, that's why that, that puts them in peril sometimes with the financial decisions that they make. Oh, that's great. So, and do you focus on the financial planning with them or do you focus on the asset protection or taxes or all of the above? Well, I certainly do all <laughs> that. So I'm, I, I definitely, I, I look at, you know, if you look at corporate America, um, you will find in corporate America, there's something called a parent company. Like you can say there's a, the concept of the parent company and then that owns all, all of the other subsidiary companies. Got it. Well, if you look at the way that a civilization is built, it is built upon households. The family unit is the core of a civilization, right? It's built upon you know households. So in, in my estimation, that household is the parent company. Right. And whether you own a piece of real estate or self-storage unit or a mobile park or a business, all of those are for the benefit. You're doing all this for the benefit of the parent company, which is the household. Right. That makes sense. So I really try to get people to shift their viewpoint a little bit because so many people get like lost in their business. They think their business is the most important entity. But it's like, no, you're doing this for the parent company. You got to operate from a different perspective. And uh, so, you know, I, we start with that concept right there and, and then just make sure people are utilizing their other investments to benefit that parent company. And that, that changes a lot of people's minds and how they manage money, how they look at their business and all, all different kinds of things. So, um, yeah, that's, that's certainly one concept that we, that we touch on. Oh, that's great. And I was looking at your website as well. And you talk about financial planning. Yeah. So if you break financial planning down into four easy steps, what would yes. they be? Well, okay. Well, what is a, what's a plan there for? So everyone's trying to get to some kind of an ideal financial condition, right? You guys, I guess you could define it as financial freedom. Although you can look on the internet, you probably get like 17 right. definitions of financial freedom. <laughs> I break it down kind of simply. I, I'd say your ideal financial condition would be one where your household has an abundance of income coming in from multiple sources. You're free of all bad debt, not, yeah. not good debt. Not bad good debt. debt. Yeah. Um, your assets are protected from taxes, inflation, and lawsuits. Your business is profitable sustainable and transferable and you have time to pursue whatever life goals that you have that would be an ideal financial scene now there's no numbers attached to that right. it's just the condition that you would you would be in well then you have to look at where you're at right now okay well let's say i don't have a majority of those things right. the plan a plan is designed to bridge the gap between where you're at right now and where you want to go and that plan should be simple it should be, you know, focus on, you know, I, I really four main things that I, that we try to focus on, which is production of revenue, uh, having a systematic and automatic method of retaining money, getting rid of uh, extravagant waste and protecting your assets from taxes, inflation, and lawsuits. That, that's all a financial plan should do. And it should be simple. 
unfortunately, that's not what most people get. Oh, that's awesome. So, so you, you mentioned those four steps. How does someone know, and you mentioned one word, which I love as well, uh, financial freedom. How, how does someone know that they have reached that financial freedom? Uh, it's going to be, well, the experience that I, the, the ideal scene, I think paints what it should look like, but the number is different for everybody. Like what represents financial freedom to you? Maybe it's $50 million, you know, right. maybe it's $30 million. I think it really comes down to how much cash flow do you have coming into your household that would allow you to live the life that you want to live, right? And I think that that certainly is going to be an indicator of what you would, and then how much, how hard do you have to work for that money? And I think that, uh, what we try to do with our clients is I don't want them to not work. I want them to do something that fulfills right. a purpose and a passion. Yes. And it's not like I want them to just like sit around and smoke a pipe and, you know, drink <laughs> tea. I mean, who wants to do that? Right. Nope. But uh, I want them to have freedom of time where they can pursue whatever endeavors that they, that they want to pursue. So, you know, does that mean they have to have some portion of their, their income or cash flow is passive? Sure. Yes. Right. But um, but I still want them to engage in an activity that would be fun for them, you know, enjoyable, those kinds of things. So, but yeah, I think the, the number is really different for everybody. The, the condition though, I think is the same. Like, what am I, what, what does that condition look like? The one I just mentioned, but I think the numbers are just going to be based upon the person personally, though. I would not set my, my total asset goal of any less than probably five to 7 million in total assets. And the reason, and I could probably go up from there. The reason I say that is because you, you really have to like, you got to think like, what would happen if everything just hit the fan? Right. Right. And this idea that a lot of financial advisors have said the traditional retirement plan model, which is, you know, you save your million or $2 million and you should invest your 4% withdrawal rate. And, right. and, and, you know, you may not run out of money. And then I just keep thinking like, that doesn't sound very safe to me though. No. Like what's so safe about that? So I think you have to like, think of like worst case scenario. What if asset prices went down 40%? Mm -hmm. Would you have enough? And income assets and resources to still be able to survive and, and, and live well. That's probably your number right there. So if you're like, you know what, if my assets went down from 10 million to 5 million, I could still do well. If I went from 3 million to one and a half million, that, no. that's not so good. Right. Yeah. And uh, the other side is maybe the inflation hits 20%. <laughs> you got and, all kinds of factors. And you had made 4% every year. <laughs> yeah. You got in trouble as well. Yeah, right. and, and, and that's, and that, you know, people talk about hedges to inflation so much that, you know, they talk about, you know, cryptocurrency and right. gold and silver and, you know, means of production, having, owning things that create income and cash flow. Those are your best hedges against got inflation. It. You know, it's nothing else. Um, and I think that's where people like get a lot off track is like those are that's what real wealth represents. Uh, oh, that's that's you know. that's that's important. And, and one of the thing you mentioned is, is the key, right? Creating that multiple streams of income. 
Yes. It's so important. Some of it passive as well, so that you don't have to work or you are making money while you sleep, right? I will say though that people unfortunately get that one a little bit backwards because they're they're so they spend so much time trying to chase all these different income streams. The sequence from that I've seen be successful is focus on one, yes. get that flowing like the Mississippi, and then just make sure that you have a systematic way of taking profits from that. So then you can start building other income right. sources, but you really want to get that one main one really, you know, flowing really, really big. And I think it takes care of itself from there. Well, that makes sense. And you keep talking about protecting assets from lawsuits, yeah. uh, taxes and inflation. What does that mean? Can you elaborate on all three of them? Well, look, I mean, <laughs> we've, we've been pretty well conditioned to like go out there and like, let's create and increase your net worth and, uh, you know, invest and grow and all those things. But not many people think about what happens if, I get sued for some reason. Because as you grow, you you get attacked. I'm sure <laughs> you've probably seen that. Yeah, yeah, you're a target. <laughs> and the bigger that you get, the more that you're yes. probably going to come under attack. <laughs> and so many people I see that that fail to like do basic protection actions to protect their assets. Um, and then, of course, as you start making more money, you become under the thumb of the IRS. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I talk a lot about protection because what good is it to create all this, this empire of wealth if one accident, one, you know, one health issue, uh, one, you know, bad PRs, you know, something happens that, you know, you, you tick off the wrong person and they try to ruin your reputation. I mean, you can wipe all that money away very quickly. So I talk with our clients a lot about making sure that they they protect their assets from those kinds of things. I can, you know, if we want to dig into the asset protection deeper, we certainly could. No, the, the, this is great. Let's let's talk about then how to protect from taxes. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the biggest expenses we will we will have in our lifetime. Right? Yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's one of them. Yes, uh, it's one of them. It's definitely one of them. The uh I mean, look, I think it starts with making sure that you have a competent team around you that has the intention of minimizing your tax liability. And I say that because, you know, my experience, I don't know what your experience has been with CPAs, is that they're, they really don't focus on that, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's not that they don't know what they're doing. It's just that's not a core competency of them right. is trying to minimize your tax liability. Your effective tax rate to me should be the, the product of your, your tax team and trying to minimize that effective tax rate down to an acceptable level, whatever that is based upon your risk tolerance. Yeah. But, um, you know, there are certainly, you know, there are basic things you can do to minimize your taxes. And then there are more advanced structures as you go up the ladder that you can utilize uh, to, you know, further minimize your tax liability. And it really just comes down to is what, how comfortable are you in taking certain amounts of risk uh, to minimize your tax liability? Some people can't, you know, and, and unfortunately their CPAs um, will dissuade them from doing anything, even though it's legal, uh, because their, their number one concern is you getting audited. 
not your tax liability. It's an audit. Right. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, I don't know what tax strategies you've used in the past, but you know, I've, I've used everything from uh, conservation easements. Yeah. We've used uh, um, reinsurance, uh, you know, for, for people that have businesses, they can actually create like, you know, captive like insurance, a captive companies. insurance. Yeah, yeah. Like a captive insurance company. Um, you know, these are all things that uh, certainly work, you know, and if, and if you, and as long as you do them correctly, uh, then they're available for people. But I, I just found most CPAs, people really put too much faith and reliance on their CPAs and they don't look for themselves and it ends up costing them 20, 30, $50,000 in taxes when it doesn't have to. No, I, I agree. So uh, no, this is great. And what about protecting from inflation? Because then we have seen the inflation going up. Of course, it's, it's going yeah. back down. Uh, but but how do you protect um, practice owners from inflation? Well, again, I think if you look at it, like who does inflation hurt the most? Well, it certainly hurts people that are on a fixed income. Right. Like my my dad probably makes about fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year from his retirement accounts, and he lives comfortably. He doesn't have any debt. But you know, if if prices go up fifteen percent, he's going to feel that. Ah, uh, right. Someone making a million dollars a year or yeah. $750,000 a year. I mean, do you really care if right. the price of milk goes from, you, you just don't because you have. Yeah. So I think people really have to look at where can I create that? Certainly your business is, I'm always going to go back to the business is like the place that you can really generate your inflation hedge. And, you know, from there, you know, you create a lot of value that you can use to, to buy other assets and investments um, that will give you so much you know, that, that those multiple income sources so that even if two of them, even if inflation goes to 20% or 30%, I still have enough to be able to do what I want to do in life. So that's always been my best edge against inflation. Looking at that. I mean, I buy silver coins too, just because I like them, gold <laughs> and silver. Uh, I haven't gotten into the crypto space yet. So you, you'd have to try to convince me of that. <laughs> Right I see, now, uh, right now see, is uh, not the time uh, to convince. I see, I see, <laughs> I see. I've had too many people that have put money in Celsius and FTX. Yes. In, in the last, like, uh, they they never told me they did it either, except when they lost their money. And I'm like, well, why didn't you? Why didn't you ask me that? I would have given you my opinion that you can't get <laughs> yields of twenty or twenty five percent and think that you're investing in a safe institution. Yeah. You know? No, it's it's so, always going to be risky and. Uh, when and something is that new, and then of course you know, um, as human being, we are greedy, right? So that's yeah. what happened with Celsius and FTX, because even they were greedy, right? They yeah. they over so in all of these cases, they were ever able to over collateralize, right? Over leverage themselves. And, yes. And this is what happens, right? So someone allowed them to do that. You and... know, debt debt is such a <laughs> debt is such a powerful tool. I mean, it really I've, I've seen it create billionaires, and then I've seen it, you know, put people in financial ruin. So you really have to utilize debt correctly. Otherwise, it it is one of those things that can put you under pretty quickly. Yep. Yep. No, and that is why when you mentioned good debt and bad debt, that's that's from cash flow quadrant or rich debt, yeah. poor debt, right? That you have to make sure that the debt you have is generating income or cash flow for you. 
then it is a good debt. When you are just throwing away money at the debt from your own pocket, that's a liability. That's yeah. a bad debt. Hundred <laughs> percent. And I and I think that uh, you know so many people uh, you know have the idea that it should be a hundred percent debt free and and uh, you know but I guess it all just all depends. If I'm going to borrow for something, I at least want to have control of it and I want to know what I'm doing. You know, if I'm going to borrow money for like that, like I wouldn't borrow money just to go buy to go build you know, some mobile home parks, like I'm sure it would be good, but I don't know how to operate those things. Right. You know, so I would, I would certainly, yeah, you just have to be careful to that degree. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much, Eddie, for sharing a lot of golden nuggets. Are you ready for fire round? Let's do it. Would you be changing any business or investment strategy because of inflation or the upcoming recession? Uh, I'd be holding a lot more cash right now. Yeah, I'm probably on your cash. I'm looking at, uh, well, I'm sorry. It's, this is fire around would be long. Um, <laughs> t- uh, probably treasury bills right now. I mean, you're yes, getting four, right four now, and a half. Yeah, you're getting four, four and a half in, tre- in treasury bills. Yeah. You're getting 2% in your money market accounts, uh, which yeah. is, you know, a spread on that. So why not put it in T-bills? Um, yeah, the I-bonds are giving like, what, 7.5 or 8.5 right now. Yeah, so, so that's probably the only thing I'm changing, just making sure we're, the, yeah, a lot of liquidity right now. Right, okay. Favorite real estate or finance or any other related book? Um, oh, gosh. Hold on one second. There's the, there's a book that I've been reading. If you give me one second, I will tell you to you. It has to do with actually taxes and it is called the daylight robbery. Daylight robbery. Uh, how, how tax shaped uh, our past and will change our future by Dominic Frisbee. I would recommend oh, okay. everybody go out and get that book. I have Day- not read that one. Okay. Daylight robbery. It's really a fa- fascinating look at the history of taxes. Interesting. Any tool or website you recommend or you cannot live without? Any website? Yeah. Uh, any app, tool? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, any app or tool? Well, I like eMoney quite a bit, which is like a data aggregation system because it allows me to see the big picture. So I'll say that. Got it. Yeah. Any advice for beginner investors? I go back to what I had said before, know what you own, why you own it, and definitely try to own things that are going to pay you to own them. I think that's, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to invest in something, make sure it's going to pay you to own it, whatever that is. That that always seems to be like sound advice to me. How do you give back? Uh, well, let's see. I donate to, to charities that I think are going to have a meaningful impact on the world. And um, I actually work with uh, groups that go into jails and try to um, teach, teach convicts how to make better decisions when they get out of jail, something I've been doing for about five years right now. Because if you look at all the pain in the world, it, it is caused by criminal activity, regardless of where it comes from. Um, so if I can convince people not to engage in criminal activity, I think that would have an impact on the world. Well, thank you so much for doing that. That's great. How can my listeners reach out to you? Sure. They can just go to, uh, econologics.com, 
uh, or they can go to How to Become a Financial Beast and they can get the book. It is available on, uh, on Amazon. And uh, like you, we were an Amazon bestseller. So it was kind of nice to, to get oh, that recognition <laughs> right there. Uh, but yeah, you can just go to Econologics Financial Advisors uh, or you can go to Financial Beast and you'll find the book somewhere. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Eddie, for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.